Hello, lovelies. Welcome to the Fat Joy Podcast, where we talk each week about how to flourish in an anti-fat world. I'm Sophia, a fat person and professional coach who loves talking to other fat people about what it's like to live within oppressive systems that marginalize our bodies and how we still dare to have the audacity and courage to reach towards our collective liberation and embrace our joy. Please know this is an adult content podcast, so there will be swears, we will be talking about harms we've experienced, and we will be rebelling against diet culture, anti-fatness, ableism, racism, etc. If you'd like to support the Fat Joy podcast and get bonus content as a thank you, please check us out at patreon.com fatjoy. I am so glad you're here with us. Enjoy. Hello, lovelies. Welcome back to the Fat Joy podcast. I'm Sophia, and I'm very excited to be joined today by Tamara Walcott. Hi, Tamara. Hello. Hi, guys. (laughs) (laughs) So I've been following Tamara for a while on social because I was wanting to find... um, women who were in sport who were also fat and being celebrated like and like do like kicking ass also now i'm not going to spoil it i'm going to let tamara spoil it but tamara's definitely kicking ass so tamara why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself all right well my name is tamara walcott uh born and raised in the u.s virgin islands but i currently live in maryland um in the laurel area um, I think a big reason why I'm, this, I'm on the show is that I have broken many all-time world records. I hold Guinness World Records, um, considered one of the strongest women alive right now. Um, I broke an all-time world record with a total of 1,629 pounds um, as a powerlifter in the powerlifting community. So that's Tamara. I'm also a mom as well, a mom of two young kids. Well, not young. One is 10 and one's turning 17 this year. Um, and I've only been in the sport of powerlifting going on maybe four years now. So I haven't been doing it for a very long time. This is my fourth year. Wow. Okay. So in four years, you got to that level. Yes. <laughs> in a very short time, I got to be the number one of something in the world in powerlifting. Yes. Oh my God. And also just how freaking awesome to be like, I might just be the strongest woman ever. exactly that too that too i just it's amazing to me that's incredible it must feel incredible like it does it definitely does just doing something that i thought that i couldn't have but i've also tapped into my thing i realized that i wasn't just big for nothing I realized I wasn't just, I was built to move weight. <laughs> so I am I am living my purpose right now. Oh my God, I love that. I remember going to my first, um, like kind of women, women, women identifying boxing gym, because I actually really love boxing. And I went to an actual gym for the first time and I walked in and the, the boxer, the trainer person who owned the gym was like, oh, I love when my big girls show up because they have got power. And I was like, this is where my body gets to be celebrated? What? Yes, it's funny that you say that because my dad actually was a boxer. So that is like deep to my core as well. My son does jujitsu. He loves boxing. And I used to do cardio boxing as well prior to powerlifting. So 
Oh yeah. my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> so like you said, you weren't born big for nothing. So my second question for guests is always this ooh, often challenging, controversial journey with the word fat. So what has that been like for you? What have you noticed through your First life? First and foremost, I've been fat all my life. Like I'm a middle child on both sides, my dad and my mom's side. And I am the thickest of them all, okay? <laughs> so my sister's really slender. My brother's really slender on both sides. And here you have this girl just walking around. My nickname was Bubbles growing up, which I'm absolutely fine with. One thing I can tell you is that it's a little bit of a difference from what I've heard from what other people have experienced. I've been fat all my life and I didn't look, at, my family didn't look at it as a negative thing. They loved me. They called me beautiful. I went out into the world when someone called me fat, I was like, I already know that, but I'm still beautiful. Now what? <laughs> uh, what a gift to have a family like that. They didn't try to like put you on diets or make you feel shame about your body. Nope. They call me bubbles and, and, and what are bubbles? They're light and airy. Yes, they're round, but they're beautiful. So yeah. And they're celebratory. Like bubbles are what you blow when you're, you're like with joy, right? Uh, Tamara, that's, that's a real gift that you had that. I'm so glad to hear that. I am curious because on your website, there's there's a bit of, and maybe it'll be in your bio as well that gets shared in the description notes, but there was this whole thing like you were, and I don't want to talk about like weight or weight loss necessarily because that's antithetical to diet culture, but I have, the question I was thinking about is I read about your body journey and how your body changed as you started powerlifting. And here's the thing, you're still fat. It's not like fatness went away when you became the strongest woman in the world. But here's my question, because I'm dying to know this. And of course, it's a question that an, a fellow fat person would ask. When you go to the doctor, do they still fucking talk to you about weight loss? No. My doctor knows better by now. <laughs> My doctor has seen different phases of Tamara at 275. So they know better. They feel these legs and are like, all right, yeah, you're structured a little different. Like, it's not the number on the scale. You know what I mean? It's what you're putting out. It's what you're able to do. Another thing, I never had to deal with, like, pre-diabetes or, like, um, I, I was I was walking and running faster than my counterparts that were half my size. You know what I mean? So at the end of the day, fat doesn't mean broken. Fat doesn't mean unhealthy. Fat doesn't mean you can't do shit. You still can get shit done. You still can be healthy. Our bodies are just surviving at different weights. You know what I mean? Even when I started my journey, it wasn't about... I want the number on this scale to go down. I started because I wanted to get healthier. I wanted to get stronger and my body composition just changed. So I wasn't even focused on the scale. I was more so focused on the overall fat, like fat loss over weight loss. Fat loss is different than weight loss. You know what I mean? Weight loss is different than fat loss. Like I wasn't focused on that. I was just doing my thing, getting stronger. Yeah, I love that. And how wonderful to have like, have doctors that were able to be okay with that because that's one of the biggest challenges that I'm sure you hear from from plus size and fat people is being just constantly shamed about their body and it's like every time my doctor gets test results they're like um can this be correct like you're metabolically healthy I'm like yeah 
And even if I wasn't, I still deserve care and to be treated with respect. And it doesn't mean I like health should not be a marker of morality. But I was really curious because like, hello, strongest woman in the world. And if someone were to say anything about your quote unquote health, no. No. Yeah. No. Okay. Amazing. <laughs> um, okay. So can you tell us a little bit about the day you broke the Guinness world record? Cause I watched, there's a little doc, a five minute doc that Guinness did on your, um, I linked it from your Instagram page. So I'll include the link in the show notes. I was crying this morning watching it. Like, what was it like for for you. Well, first and foremost, I am so glad that my team did not tell me that Guinness was there because that would have been one no. That would have been one heck of like, that would have been a lot to have on my shoulder on game day. So I was unaware, first and foremost, I knew Guinness was coming. I knew I was working, like knew Guinness was coming, meaning I knew that that was something that we were talking about with my team to accomplish, to do. Did I know that they had to actively be there in the moment to see it happening? No, I thought we were going to do video submissions. I didn't necessarily know how it was going to work. Now, after breaking it, I remember like, oh, that's why that camera guy was following me around like that. I just thought that it was just because at these competitions, there's tons of photographers. There's tons of videographers. You just used to cameras in your face but I didn't know it was Guinness. So after finding out, after breaking the record, and then they're like, oh, Guinness is here. We want to do a face-to-face. And I was like, Guinness is here. So that experience, that day, so let me start from the beginning. Prior to that competition, four weeks prior, I actually was dealing with a knee injury. And I did not even know how I was going to squat over 600 pounds, deadlift over 600 pounds. Four weeks out is your, like, that's when you're peaking. That is when you're peaking for your optimal performance in the next couple of weeks in powerlifting. And I had to completely stop squatting. I couldn't squat. I couldn't deadlift. I had to give my knee some time to recover. So in working with my uh, PT guy and working with my physical therapist, I was able to give my my joints some rest and recovery. And a week later, my coach and I was like, all right, let's get under the bar, see how it feels after this week off. And thank God for muscle memory, I was able to hit the numbers that I needed to hit so I didn't have to pull out of the competition. So that in itself was a lot. I could barely walk up and down the stairs because my right knee was giving me so much aggravation. But hey, my my physical therapist was like, you have Arthur, arthritis. <laughs> and I was like, it runs in my family. I'm used to Arthur. So I guess I'm just have to figure that out. Um, on the day of competition, I was really nervous because it was one of the bigger competitions that I had done in a really long time. And I was chasing numbers that I was personally chasing for myself for a while. So a lot were playing out on that meet on that day. My mind was all over the place. Um, Squats were nerve wracking for me because one of the things that I continually have to work on is my depth. And I was able to get the squat that I wanted in my third squat. And then same thing, my second pull on deadlifts, I was, they called me for like soft knees. And if I didn't pull the third, I would not have gotten that record and beat that total. And by God's grace, I was able to do what needed to be done. The crowd went wild. 
And I got the all-time world record on deadlift. We broke my own record. And then I took the total record as well. So it, it was just, that day was, that day was just beautiful. Like my job actually allowed people to take off and bought their tickets to come see me compete. Like it was crazy. It, my family was there. My aunts were there. It was magical. Yeah. It was one of the best competitions I've ever been to or done. Wow. It was amazing to watch. Like I said, I was weeping when that, well, that in the video they show, they called you on it. Like they didn't count one of the. Yeah, that's the second one that I missed. And if I didn't pull that third. Oh, it was so like, anyway. I and know. Then, yeah. And then when you got it, I was like, oh my God. Uh, the thing that surprised me too, is you had to do these three huge moves, lifts, but like, it's not like you had days to rest in between. You had to do it like. Simultaneously, right back to back to back. Yeah. So it's a total of nine lifts. So three squats, three benches, and three deadlifts. And I had the heaviest squat that day. I had the heaviest bench that day of anyone. And I had the, the heaviest deadlift. Amazing. I mean, that that's just wild to me. <laughs> um, as a coach, I'm always so interested in mental and emotional shifts. And your journey, again, as I read a little bit about you and what I'm really curious about with you is as we kind of loosen the hold on our own inner critics, as we kind of heal some of our own deeper wounds, and we kind of clear the way to be more aligned, resourced, clear, and live from like that truer part of ourselves. I feel like you really went through that journey. And I'm so curious, what are some of those shifts that you made and that you noticed as you began to really live from a more empowered, no pun intended, place. Like, what? how did you take yourself through that journey in four years? I think just realizing that I was the author of my book and taking control and controlling the controllables and realizing that the old Tamara would like set plans in place. And if those plans didn't go through, then all hell broke loose and I just didn't do it. And I'd wait till six months to reattempt it again. The old Tamar, the new Tamara now understands that, all right, if you plan something on Monday and it didn't happen, you got Tuesday, you got Wednesday. I don't let more than three days go by doing what I set out to do, if that makes sense. So I hold myself accountable um, and I take control of things. I don't let things control me. It's another shift in my mindset. Like in order to move the way that I need to do to move, I know I have to fuel my body properly. So I can't fuel my body with pizza. I have to fuel my body with like brown rice and a steak versus pizza. You know what I mean? Because that burn, that energy, the energy balance that you get from those foods, yeah, you'll feel full with both, but you'll be energized with one more than the other. So it's just making those changes from the inside out. Like I am what I put in and I get out what I put in. Um, I think I look at it from that mindset. And I started that early on um, when I decided to make a change with my life. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Controlling the controllables is such an important life lesson. I know I struggle with that constantly. I always want to control what I have no control over. <laughs> I just want to control everything tomorrow. Like that, that's what I want. How do you, so how do you let go? Because really like the counterbalance is like letting go. How do you, how do you 
No. It did not happen overnight. I am my own biggest critic. And one of the things I used to do is I would self-sabotage. Like, for example, if I missed a lift in the gym, then I wouldn't go to the gym for a whole nother week because I was too, like, embarrassed that I missed the lift. I was too worried about who was watching. I was too worried about thinking, like, why can't I do this? The new tomorrow, what I do now is like, I understand that I'm going to hit this weight eventually. It didn't happen today, but that doesn't mean it's not going to come. So that's just, that's just how I look at things now. So it took time though. Like that did not happen overnight. I had to condition myself to understand like week over week, you're going to get better. And powerlifting is something that helped me in my personal life as well, because some days I would go and think that I would be able to move 315 like it's nothing. And 315 is like, not today. <laughs> not today. I'm in control today. But then a week later, I come back and it's easier than it was the week before. So that's taught me that, all right, things take time. Like you may not be there now, but you'll get there eventually. So I try to be proactive and not reactive in a sense, understanding that my current situation is not my final destination. And that applies to everything in my life. Yeah. I was just going to ask, how has that shifted how you parent? Because I imagine there's some impacts in parenting too, right? It definitely has. Just, I, I was able to kind of broaden my kid's horizon, like in a sense where my son always used to say he wants to be like an engineer, like a musical engineer. And I was like, Bryce, why don't you be a teacher? Why don't you be a doctor? Why don't you be this? Why don't you be that? And my daughter wants to work at Pixar. And I was like, Mashley, we don't know if that's going to happen. That's like a one in a million chance, but she could be that one in a million. So my perspective is so much different now, like nurturing the things that they're passionate about. I'm, I'm able to do that as a parent now because I've standed in my, like I've stood in my own purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Where, where do you go from here with powerlifting? Do you continue to like, do you just keep breaking records or like, like where, where do you, or actually maybe that's not even the right question. Maybe I should actually ask, how do you think about the future? Cause you're very much living in the present, but how do you think about the future or do you? Oh, yes, I do. I have tons of future goals. And I think powerlifting has opened the doors for a lot of those. Um, so I know a lot of people see me on Ulta Beauty ads. They see that I'm working with Project Rock. Um, I have a lot of other things in the pipeline. I'm actually working on a children's book right now, and my daughter's going to be illustrating it. So that's been pretty cool. And it's just like there are a lot of things that I want to do, but the main thing that I want to continue doing in powerlifting and outside of powerlifting is impact. And I want to reach and touch as many people as possible and young people at that. Because if I could have tapped into what I knew in my 30s, but did that when I was 15 and walk in who I am and be confident in who I am, knowing that my body's ability is able to do anything that I put my mind to, I want to be able to tap into that with younger people so that they know that their courts are their quality. Right. Oh, their quirks are their quality. Yeah. They called you chubby. They, they talk about the space in between your, e your teeth or you might have a gate in your walk. That might be your that beautiful thing about you that you need to let the world see. So I love that. Yeah. I often talk with guests about there's this kind of feeling of, oh, man, if I knew what I knew now in terms of like body and fat liberation when I was that age, like like you said, 14, 15, 16, my teens. Who could I, how far, much farther could I have been now? And so what you want to do is you're wanting to really bring that to kids when they're younger. 
Yeah. Yep. So I've been doing some motivational speaking. So I definitely want to talk to more school age, college age kids and stuff like that. Yeah. What's the focus of your motivational talks? Like, what are you, how are you having that impact? What are you focusing on? So I actually just did one. um, It's called, it was called Petals of a Powerlifting Mom. And one of the things that I talked about was just share, aside from sharing my story, was just talking about dedication toward your destination versus focusing on motivation over time because you lose motivation over time. So sometimes we have these great ideas and things that we want to do. And when you say them out loud, you hear some people snicker. Some people may not believe it, but you do. You're the key to that success. So focus on the things that you can't see yet, the things you dream about, the things that you can't touch and never give up. The destination's not going to be straight and narrow. You may hit a few roadblocks. You may go on a few detours, but everything is necessary. Keep your eyes on the prize, pretty much. Just keep your eyes on your destination. So that's kind of my focus um, because a lot of times when we say our dreams out loud, they're filled with doubt because people can't fathom or they don't have the capacity to understand our dreams. So that's kind of what my speaking is, is, is based on. Oh, that's so inspiring. It's important to hear. It's important to hear. Yeah, because I don't think we, it's weird because in our culture, it's almost like we have a fake aspirational dream-based culture, but mostly centered around buy this car, you know, like it's so commercially driven. But what you're talking about is something different. It's like inner aspirations inner goals, those types of aligned dreams. How do you like, do kids, it's my, I have two kids around the age of your kids. They're um, 12 and 14 stepkids. And I'm always wondering like, do they get it? Like, can they understand that concept? What do you think? I absolutely think they can understand that concept because now I show my kids better than I can tell them. Like I'm showing them that it's possible. And I think perception's everything, but you have to be able to be submerged in that. Like how can we have people submerged in believing that whatever you put your mind to is possible other than seeing it right up front? You're looking at someone's mom who went from a couch potato, just sitting on the couch every weekend, thinking that they did not have time to do anything because they were too big to do something, to getting up and going to the gym every single day, putting in that work and being the number one, taking a record that stood there for 13 years in a sport that is male-dominated, being a black woman where there's not a lot of faces that look like you, like how, how else I poured into my kids. They have no choice, but to know that they can and they will. And I think more people need to see that. You know what I mean? Like once you find out that it's definitely attainable, it's not unattainable, that you're just, you're just a force to be reckoned with after that. Once you truly believe that. And you have to truly believe it. Yeah. hundred percent. And I think this is why diet culture does not want us to believe it because they don't want a whole bunch of forces to be dealt with. <laughs> that would be a lot powerful. Yeah. Right. I, I love that you're speaking to about representation, a black woman, a woman in a sport that is dominated by mostly men. Like, do you remember early days where, where did you feel intimidated? Were you treated differently? Like how, how did that go? 
So walking in the gym for the first time because of the bubbly, infectious personality that I had, although I wasn't welcomed with arms wide open, um, one of the things that I would say is I definitely would think that in the beginning I met the right circle that gave me the right info that gave me that level of it's okay to be here. Um, and my coach, then, um, unfortunately he passed away past this, this past December. Um, but he definitely was one of the reasons as to why I got so comfortable in the sport and comfortable in my skin and who I am. Like he let me know right up front, like, it's okay to be a woman, be strong. Like, let's beat these boys. <laughs> I love it. Let's beat these boys. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, and I I don't know anything about powerlifting, so I apologize if this is like a very ignorant question, but like your strength and how what you lift, is that comparable to men? I I, I don't know. So, yes. So it is comparable. Like for example, in my gym right now, uh my top weight in the gym, like not on the platform, is I'm able to deadlift 660 pounds. So standing, if I'm the one woman in the gym surrounded by 10 other men, there's probably only two other men that can do that. So that hopefully that gives you some perspective. But when you look at women in the sport right now, we are, if you put women and men combined in open powerlifting, women right now are stacked to the top of the charts because it's based on body weight times the number that you move. So some of the women are moving more weight. Now, they might, may not be lifting 500 pounds, but because of their body weight, they're lifting more than what someone else is lifting, uh, more than what their male counterpart is lifting uh, because they're heavier versus lifting lighter weight, if that makes sense. Totally. I didn't realize body, yeah, I didn't realize body weight was a part of it. Yes. So come this October, there's something called a DOT score, a world score. I want to be the first super heavyweight plus size woman to ever have more than a 600 pound dot. And that's something that I'm working on actively at this moment to hit up my next competition. So that'll be another all time world record there. Oh my gosh. Okay. May it be so. I'm just going to send you some, some, some good energy around. That's so good. Take it, take it, take it. Wow. That's incredible. That's incredible. Um, on days that feel like, oh, I don't want to go. This feels hard. How do you stay connected to your purpose? That's a good question. I think it's a good question because a lot of people look at me and elite powerlifting number one in the world. Like you must not get tired. I get tired all the time. The hardest part is putting on my gym clothes and getting in the car. So that's one of the other things that I would say definitely took time. Like I had to just set a routine in place. I had to start doing mantras to tell myself, all right, when you go to work and you clock into your nine to five, you're expected to be there a certain time and you're doing this for corporate America. You're your own corporate America. You're not going to give yourself sloppy seconds tomorrow. So it came back to like a lot of affirmations like, yeah, I know you're tired, but you're not going to be tired for you because when you were tired, you went to work. But now that you're tired, you're still going to get up for you. So I think one of the most important things is one, understanding why I'm tired. Am I physically tired or am I mentally tired? There are two different types of tired. So I just listen to my body. But as far as getting up and going and putting my mind to something, I just put on my clothes, get in the car. 
I might throw a hissy fit on the way there, but I get in and I get the job done. And by the time I'm driving home, I'm like, why did I not want to do this? I feel so much better. <laughs> so I think it's just understanding from the beginning why you're tired and understanding that it's okay that if you wanted to go on Monday, but you know you're physically and mentally tired, that it's okay to switch it to another day. So I don't beat myself up. I train three to four days a week. It doesn't matter what days those fall on. As long as I train three to four days a week, that's it. I love that you're speaking to both flexibility and generosity and gentleness with yourself, right? It's and not because what happens when we do beat ourselves up, it doesn't actually motivate us more. It just keeps us away from doing the thing because now we also feel embarrassment and shame and all this other stuff that shows up. So a little gentleness can actually really help us accomplish our goals. You mentioned mantras. Do you have a favorite mantra that you would share with us? So other than dedication over destination versus over motivation and time, that's one. Um, I think another mantra that I share with myself over and over is what you put in is what you get out. I tell myself that all the time because I just need to give myself that extra push. And if it's important to me, then you need to get it done. Another mantra is do one thing every single day that gets you one step closer to your goal. That could be journaling. That could be writing your goals down. That could be saying your goals out loud, but you have to do one thing every single day that gets you one step closer to your goal. That's beautiful. Are you a journaler? Do you journal? I do. I do. I journal not physically writing, but in text, like my notes. So I have tons oh, of notes yes. all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. What I, I'm, I'm also a creative writing coach. So I'm always very curious about the process of like, almost like therapeutic writing and the impact it can have when you're writing your notes to yourself. Like, what does that do for you? How does that help you? I think it's important to remember how I feel at a certain time. I like journaling and writing, writing down like how I felt at a certain time. So then when I'm out of that funk, I could self-reflect. And, and there's certain times where I'm able to say, Hey, I was really mel having a meltdown over this, but looking at it from another perspective, it was okay to feel that way, or this is how I could have corrected it, if that makes sense. So I like writing it down so I can go back and like self-reflect. Yeah, which is great because then you can catch it differently moving forward, right? Mm -hmm. And I think it's important just to have an understanding of yourself and how you're perceived and how people perceive you in that moment because a lot of people are affected by your mood and your energy because I'm an energy person. So I can feel the shift in energy like almost like instantaneously. So yeah, I'm, I'm a true empath. Yeah. So for other empaths listening, because I, again, this is something I know empaths struggle with. How do you manage when to let the energy impact you and when to not? Have you had to learn how to play with that ability? I have, but that's one of the things that I've grown to master. Like, hey, I'm about to be 40. My empath self at 20, I got to like self, like I would put myself in people's shoes too much and just do too much. The 40-year-old tomorrow is like, all right, let's talk about this. How can I help you work through this so then I don't take it on and take on that negative energy? This is the thing. You're like a sponge. You like, this is what happens with empaths. You like, it fills you up. And then it's like, I need to first figure out how to ring out. And then also how to not be all spongy all the time. Exactly. So porous, like just soaking it all up. 
Yeah. So I think it's more about like just actively listening, realizing that they're not because in some cases at empaths, we just think people are asking us for their help, but they're just for our help. But they're actually just venting, wanting to get it out. So just understanding that and having those conversations, like, how can I help you if I can help you to like manage the what you're dealing with right now? Yeah. So I think that's important for me, just being an active listener and opening um, up discussion. Yeah. Are one or both of your kids empaths? Did that pass to them? My son is an empath. He's a Libra. I'm a Sagittarius. My daughter's a, Vir- a Virgo, so she's on the other end of the spectrum. <laughs> but my son, same thing. I hit the front door, doesn't even have to tell him that I had a bad day. He's like, Mom, are you okay? Meanwhile, my daughter's like, Hey, Mom. <laughs> But yes. Well, and how lucky for him that he gets to learn, like benefit from your learned experience about how to manage. How is that going for him? Is That's he- been good too. He actually does affirmation. So Bryce used to have a really, really hard time in school. It's gotten a lot better because he has his own affirmations now. Like I remember on day one and I looked him in the mirror. I was like, Bryce, we're going to have a good day in school today. So how about we start doing affirmations? You see mommy do it every morning. I'm like, you are beautiful. You are gorgeous. You are choosing to have a good day today. I said, that's not just me saying that to say it. That's me talking to myself. So I stood there with him in front of the mirror and I was like, look at yourself, say some great things about you. He literally was like, I like my hair. He's like, I have great teeth. And he was looking at all these exterior things. And I kind of shared with him some of the things that I saw from the inside out. Like you are a great kid. You are so kind with your toys. You are so kind to animals. And we started like that for that first week. By week five, I kid you not, I heard him saying like, I'm brilliant. I'm going to be an engineer one day. Like I can do anything that I put my mind to and looking at things from the inside out. Like, so I'm just continuing to like pour into my kids and show them better than I can, that I can tell them. Like, yeah, it's been great. And his teacher is like, Bryce told me some stuff about his affirmations and they seem to be working. So thank you so much. It's been great. Now he doesn't want me to listen anymore. He's like, you're listening to my affirmations. I was like, because I'm so proud. Right? I mean, I have tears in my eyes. That is so beautiful. It's, it's great. Like, it is so great. It's helped so, so much. And affirmations is not something that I did at 10. I didn't know what that was at all. So I'm so glad that I was able to share that with him. Yeah, it really, I thank you for sharing that story, both yours and your son's, because a lot of people don't, like they think affirmations is just like some stupid thing or woo woo or like has no impact. But how we talk to ourselves, how we see ourselves, how we witness our own greatness. I mean, that if, if we can't do that, like. That is our armor. I tell them that is your armor. Yeah, and I think that's what my parents did for me, calling me Bubbles. Another nickname was Cabbage Patch. Everybody wanted a Cabbage Patch back in the 90s. Like, hey, like, you know what I mean? Everybody loved that. So it's like, just, that's your armor. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so amazing. Okay, so then I have to ask about your Virgo child, because I am actually like a Virgo ascending, so I'm very familiar with Virgo. How, how do you, what do you help her with? Oh my goodness. So my Virgo is an A student. Like she has taught teachers out of a B to an A. I don't know how she does it, but she gets it does. So 
My Virgo, like I would definitely say Majali is her name. So my son's Bryce. My daughter's name is Majali. Majali is standing right now in the moment with me. And as she's like, she's now getting her first job. She's in thriving school. Um, she's, she's been able to witness all these things. She's now coming to the gym with me. My son used to come to the gym with me all the time. She never was interested. Now she is interested. She is now able to, because my Virgo, my daughter, she has a very small bubble of people that she talks to. She does not like public speaking, but being in, in the, in the, in the mix, in the midst of it all with me, she's been able to come out of her shell a little bit more and just have open conversations and just be able to talk in crowds and things of that nature. So I really feel like this moment in my life is preparing her for her own adult life. You know what I mean? Like, like just preparing and executing, preparing and executing. Um, so I think I've been able to help her in that department. That's amazing. Yeah. Well, and I love because I'm hearing she doesn't have to be the center of attention, but she can be present to everything that's going on and 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 take action that she wants to. So that there's so much Yes. And she really just focuses on what she wants. Like she's able to understand like, Hey, I'm not going to get from point A to point B just like that. I may have to take a couple step back in order to get a few steps forward. So she kind of has that understanding. Like she doesn't beat herself up as much anymore. Like I've had her come home from school crying about an A, about a B and getting it turned to an A, but now she's like, all right, it's okay if I don't get straight A's every single time because she really used to beat herself up all the time. But I see her like understanding, like, I don't always have to be perfect, but that's my perfection. Like, yeah. Right. And it's so important. That's like that classic hyperachiever and it serves well until it doesn't, until it becomes actually really more anxiety provoking than anything. So you're helping her like yeah hold it with a little more yeah oh it's beautiful ah amazing amazing i thank you for sharing the impact that because you are good with you and you've done obviously so much of your own growth work how that impacts your kids in such a powerful way is just heartwarming and incredible to hear. So I thank you for sharing that. That's quite, it was quite intimate. And I just want to appreciate and acknowledge that you, that you shared that. When I first, like a lot of people, I don't know, they may or may not know this. Like when I went through my divorce, ended up being a food addict and ballooned up to 415. I remember wanting to do this because I wanted to make sure that I was here for my kids. You know what I mean? I wanted to make sure I was able to go out play soccer, run with them, because I was more tired all the time because I wasn't as active. So when I started, I started for them. And I'm still doing this for them, but most importantly, I'm doing it for me. Yeah. Absolutely. Right. And that doesn't mean you're a selfish mom. And that's okay, too, because in the beginning, one of the things I told all my clients, told my, my social media, told the world, you got to be a little bit selfish with yourself to be selfless. Yes. I had to tell people, no, I can't. I have to go train. I had to say, all right, I can't be at every baseball game because I have to execute X, Y, Z. So your dad's going to be there with you. And knowing that that's okay. Yes, yes. We're not letting our kids down because we let that laundry sit there for an extra day. We're not, you know? My coach called it being soulfish. 
which I really liked, right? Yeah, because it's like, oh no, I'm doing this for myself and that has to be okay, right? Yeah. All right, Tamara, I want to ask you about joy. The podcast is called Fat Joy. What, I mean, you're just kind of like joy um, personified. And what brings you joy? How do you connect to joy? Music. Music brings me joy. Like when I'm lifting and just like, I call the gym my happy place, but really it's like, my happy place in a disco or my happy place in a club. Like uh, there's always a party going on in my mind. I I listen to so much genres of music right now. I'm listening to reggaeton and it's like, I'm all over the world. Like music brings me joy. Nice. Nice. Amazing. Uh, um, This has been so wonderful to talk to you. Thank you. I find you deeply inspiring and motivating and I'm so excited to just share you with everyone who's listening to this. So thank you for being here. Before we go, I'd like to read a poem because poetry can reach our hearts in a different way. Poems can have us feel in a different way. And that's what this podcast is all about. Expanding our hearts, deepening our empathy and inviting in joy. So each week, you get a new poem. I loved my conversation with Tamara. My goodness, it's so inspiring. And I keep thinking about how she did all of that in just four years as a deeply impatient person. (laughs) That makes me very happy. I'm all about big changes quickly. Um, and the other part of my conversation with Tamara that really struck me was that like she found her people, she found belonging. And that made me think of a poem called Belonging by Rosemary Watola Traumer. That is just beautiful. All right. So here it is. Belonging. Forgive me, please. When I thrilling in how much I love you, believe you belong to me like a book or a shirt or a ring. Writing that short list, it now seems strange. I believe I own anything. I know well the unstitching of loss. Let me learn to love you loosely, the way I love morning, the way I love song, the way I love hawks on the wing. Let me love you the way I love poems, Startled and grateful each time I find it is I who belongs to them. Thank you for joining me today. My hope is that you're feeling a little less alone and a little more seen. So until the next episode, you can find me on Instagram at fatjoy.life, on YouTube at youtube.com slash at fatjoy, and on Patreon at patreon.com slash fatjoy. Please do check out the show notes for how you can connect with my amazing guest and for the links to the poem. All right, lovely. I am sending you off with my best wishes for an abundantly fat joy day, and I look forward to talking to you again soon. Bye-bye.